you hear it quite often in professional sports, especially uh, like soccer and football, where you hear these guys, they go, they can't step away from the game. And, and the biggest reason they can't step away from the game isn't necessarily the athletics, but a lot of it is the, the locker room, the being with your friends and, and, and having those experiences and those moments that you can relate back to. And um, I think I went through quite a bit of that. And from a mental side, I think all of those other endurance type sports really helped me because in most endurance sports and things like climbing, it's hard. you're breaking problems in blocks, right? And fly fishing is just like that. You're, you're breaking the, the, down the, the, the problem of catching a fish in the blocks. And so you start to relate and, and organize your approach in that manner. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by the folks at the Fly Crate. Get double the flies when you join their monthly fly club for a fun way to learn fly fishing and discover new flies each month. Just use the code double the flies at checkout or stock up on flies for your next trip and get free shipping on all orders of $15 or more. Go to www.theflycrate.com to adventure by the fly. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, and thanks for joining us. This time around, we have on the program Christian Bacasa. Now, Christian is out of Park City, Utah, and is with Dupa Fish. Christian, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, Mark. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate you having me. Yeah, I've been looking forward to chatting with you. I really have, and I know you've got quite a story to tell. I always like to kind of start things back, though, take it back to your roots and, and how you came to discover fly fishing. How did it all start for you, Christian? Yeah, um, you know, I'm a Pittsburgh guy originally, and I grew up on a can of mealworms and bobbers, you know, fishing the, the local stalkers in Pittsburgh with uh, my dad and brother and and that progressed along as it naturally would. And, uh, you know, I was the young guy who was looking through the Bass Pro magazine every weekend and, um, you know, circling what I wanted and moved on eventually to, you know, throwing rooster tails and things like that. But, um, you know, I, it's funny, I, I kind of outgrew fishing, uh, per se. It just kind of fell off of my map for a while and went to through high school and college, et cetera, and didn't really pay too much attention to it. And then, uh, post-college, I got real heavy into um, athletics, uh, especially endurance athletics, and um, was big into climbing, ski mountaineering, cycling, et cetera. And that, that really led my life. That's what moved me to, to Park City, Utah. Um, and then about eight years ago, I had this um, sudden change in life. And uh, unfortunately, I was um, diagnosed with stage 4C Hodgkin's disease, which is a, a lymphatic cancer. And um, that was unfortunately around my heart and kind of in my lungs. And through my treatments and trying to eradicate this disease, um, I lost about 90% of the functionality in my left lung. So, so tough change in life there for me and what it ultimately led to was I wasn't able to do those endurance athletics um and those were just a huge component of my life I mean I moved across the country for that kind of stuff changed my life moved my wife with me etc and um 
I had some buddies that always fly fished and they had always invited me prior and I'd gone a couple times and was like, yeah, dude, this is fun. It brings back you know, those old fishing days and really enjoy this. But I was really of the tune of like, nah, I'll do that when I get old, you know, cause I always perceived it as this old guy sport. And, uh, you know, so I just wrote it off as that. Well, when this happened, uh, I think my buddies were seeing that I was having a hard time, you know, uh, having that gap in my life of some kind of purpose other than, you know, um, you know, family and, and like, where, where's the, uh, the recreational side. Right. Mm-hmm. And a couple good friends of mine, a guy by the name, TJ Kalanko and then Jay blues and, uh, Jay's father, Tom blues. Um, they introduced me to fly fishing. They invited me out on what they call their guys trip. <laughs> they have an annual trip where they're all in Pennsylvania still. And they, they usually would come out West and uh, do, you know, like a 10 day trip. And they have a couple other buddies that join them. One of which I had, heard about for a long time guys names Todd Jerkinson just never made uh, any kind of trip with him he was a climber skier as well so that year uh we went to Ennis Montana and I got the invite I was still having a really hard time getting around but these guys had figured out that um they could take these personal pontoon boats and float uh the Madison and, and just have a great time you know and do it day in day out and so I went up and it was like 10 days of boot camp, man. These guys like totally took care of me, took me around, showed me the road, et cetera. And, um, it was like, you know, the sky had opened up for me. Um, it just filled that void immediately. It gave me that sense of adventure again. And I could do it in a manner that was acceptable to my help at the time, which was, was pretty rough. Um, you know, I was having a hard time getting around. I was, you know, having to do things like crawl out on the bank and, and things like that. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. It changed my life. Um, really got me introduced and I was hooked. Uh, that's kind of how I got started in fly fishing. That's, that's a heck of a story. And I, the thing that amazes me is I, I you, how much of your lung capacity did you say you lost at the time when this first happened? Um, it's, it's still in that state. I lost about 90% of the lung capacity on my left lung. Right. Um, and the, the conversion of oxygen in my lungs is, is less as well. So you, I'm pretty much running on one lung. Um, mm-hmm. so speak to that a little bit, if you don't mind, I don't want to get too personal, but I'd, I'd like to know how that affects you day to day on the water. Like, are you, if you're drifting, uh, I would imagine that's, is that probably a little easier than, than walk and wait or what's your ideal way to fish right now? Yeah, yeah, I'm an open book on this, so feel free to ask any kind of questions, Mark. Um, I'm willing to share because mm-hmm. you know I think a lot of people go through things and they need they need someone to relate to, and if this helps anyone, that I think that's awesome. Um, but to kind of give you an idea, I went from uh, you know being a very fit athlete, um, you know I was a single speed mountain bike rider, and I could go out and ride 100 plus miles in a day. And, uh, I went from being about 130 pounds, which is light because I'm a smaller guy, but that was like my race weight to going through treatments. And I, during my treatments, I got down to 97 pounds. Um, and I was just really weak. And then through that, I lost that lung capacity. So not only did I lose the lung capacity, but I had very little muscle and very little strength to do things. So what was ideal about fly fishing was I could pick and choose where I could go and I could do it in short stints. So I could wait a little bit and I could stop and fish, 
You know, I could fish a scene for 20, 30 minutes or an hour and catch my breath and get settled in. And then I could go another, you know, five, 10 minutes down the river and, you know, do that again and again. And so it was like rehab for me on a physical side, but then on the mental side, it was there too, because all of a sudden I had this whole new learning process in place. And one person I do have to mention is a good friend of mine, um, Rachel Dees. She um, was a mentor to me at the start of my fishing career. She was an angler and a wife of a good friend of mine. And you know, right out of the gate, she's like, oh, yeah, I'll take you around. I'll show you. And she, you know, took me everywhere, dragged me around and showed me how to read water and, you know, gave me ideas on how to fish different ways. I mean, I didn't know anything. I didn't know what flies to select. I didn't know what dry dropper was or clink and bink and didn't know how to nymph, et cetera. And she, you know, really kind of showed me the ropes. And of course, so did the other guys and, uh, in that process as well. But um, I'd really like to dig a little deeper into kind of the mental aspect of that. Cause I think that probably can't be understated. You know, you, you, here you are, you're an endurance athlete. You're spending all this time doing some high level things. And then all of a sudden that gets taken away. Maybe speak to what it meant to have fly fishing come into your life and, and, and kind of find the outdoors and in, in a happy place again. Yeah. Um, I've, I've always been an outdoors guy. So it was really important to me and, and you're right. It was a, um, it was a mental blockade and, and I kind of I've related it to, you hear it quite often in professional sports, especially uh, like soccer and football, where you hear these guys, they go, they can't step away from the game. And, and the biggest reason they can't step away from the game isn't necessarily the athletics, but a lot of it is the, the locker room, the being with your friends and, and, and having those experiences and those moments that you can relate back to and um i think i went through quite a bit of that and from a mental side i think all of those other endurance type sports really helped me because in most endurance sports and things like climbing it's hard you're breaking problems into blocks right in fly fishing is just like that you're you're breaking the, the down the 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 problem of catching the fish in the blocks and so you start to relate and, and organize your approach in that manner. So to give you an example, when you are packing up your truck, you're thinking, okay, what's the weather like? I'm starting to break down that block. What kind of gear do I want to bring? How do I want to be situated? What river am I going to go to? What time of day is it? Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all items in that first block. The second block is now that I'm starting to approach the river, how am I going to approach the river? Am I going to come in where the water is fast so if the fish can't see me and approach a hole from this direction or that direction because of the light, et cetera? All those those blocking of the problems, and you know, they start to stack. And I think that's how I could relate to the fishing so rapidly. And it created so much relief for me because it was filling a lot of those same voids, but it was also filling with something new and exciting. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe you can tell us a story. Now, now I know you got uh, Dupa Fish on the go, which is a going concern. We're going to talk all things Dupa Fish, but I'd really like to kind of find out how you met up with your partner in business, Todd Jurgensen, and, and find out how that relationship came to be. Yeah, so that, that's a really cool one. So Todd, as I mentioned before, these guys that took me on this first trip, they were college buddies. And um, throughout college, et cetera, there was always this guy, Todd. Yeah. He's going to go on this climbing trip or he's going to go on this ski trip, et cetera. And 
I could never make the same trip. I was always, you know, working construction or something on the holiday and, you know, he could go and I couldn't or vice versa. So we never got the met, but we had heard of each other through years. And we went on this first trip up to Ennis. It was a hot year and we were up there and I think in July. And um, it was, uh, if I recall, they were having like hoot hours kind of thing. It was so, so warm. And I remember watching all the other guys and they were like big drive fly enthusiasts. And here this guy, Todd, was like out there, kind of tight line, East Coast guy. You know, he's from PA. Uh, he's a Humphreys kind of guy. He's out there tight line limping and he is slaying it. I mean, just catching pig after pig and everybody else is pulling in these dinks and, oh, yeah, the drive flies are just not biting, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I started looking around. And every morning, Todd was the guy that was like up before everybody else and out on the river. And I started going, that's, that's, that's my style. That's like more like me. I'm, you know, the up early, I like to be getting after it. And so I really just kind of personally tucked myself under his wing. And I don't think he knew it at the time, but I was like, I got to fish with this guy. He knows what the hell he's doing. So um, that's how I met Todd on that trip. And we just really hit it off, I think, because we had that same, you know, real passion of, about the fishing right, right from the very beginning. Well, you know, early on in, in this podcast, when I first started, uh, your guy's name kept coming up. Uh, I was talking to the guys from Mondo, Dupafish came up. I talked to Tilted 3.0. Uh, he had a lot of great things to say about you guys. And, uh, it's, it's, why don't you tell the folks exactly what you guys have started in Dupafish and, and what your business is all about? I believe it was our second year going out on the this kind of guys trip, right? So I got the invite back, and we just we decided we were going to do a, a three day float. I think it was on the the South Fork of the Snake up in Idaho, and um, here we are. We're fishing along, and and uh, we're we're doing that. We're catching all these uh, whiteies, all these. Uh, whiteys are coming in the boat and we're like oh, come on man, catch some whiteys we want to get some browns in the boat or you know, some cutties etc well mm-hmm. todd and a couple of the other guys kept referring to whiteys as river bones right and so it become it became this like comical thing ah oh, man another river bone you know and uh we were kind of chuckling about it well here we're drifting along and um fishing some drives and i get smashed by this pretty nice brown and uh, I think it was more luck than anything, but I, I hooked him up and got him in the boat and everybody was all pumped. And before I could get, I mean, I got that hook out as fast as I could and I just flopped that fish back in the river and I yelped out, give me another river bone, you know, and these guys just hit the deck. I mean, they were laughing so hard. And so we started, you know, chuckling about this whole river bone story. And um, what that led to was this idea of like, Hey, maybe we got something here to fiddle around with on YouTube and, I just looked around at the guys and I said, you know, I think I just need to start a business because I got to find a way to write off this, this fishing stuff, man. And uh, they started chuckling, et cetera. And long story short, Todd and I started really talking about it and we got serious and that's how Dupafish started. We, we just um, thought, Hey, look, we can come up with some creative stuff here and we have a passion for fishing. We want to share that. And, you know, what kind of skill sets that we have that we can share and, and use to kind of help uh, in the in the fishing market. And that's where we came from. So neat, neat little story on how Dupa Fish came around. We obviously changed the name because we couldn't get all the URLs for Riverbone. <laughs> so you guys, I know you're dedicated basically to putting people on the water, putting them in touch with fish, having a good time. 
maybe booking the trip of a lifetime and social media. You guys definitely are uh, a going concern with the social media. Maybe speak to that a little bit, uh, Christian. Yeah, social media has been an interesting side um, of the business. It's created a lot of growth. It's uh, created a lot of excitement. It's created some pain. You know, some people um, struggle with it. And there are some things I think that are, you know, good or bad about it, just like anything else. Um, we try to tend to focus on the good things um, that have come out of it. And and we are obviously supportive of it and a proponent of of a lot of the good standards and techniques that, that are used um, and, and try to adhere to that. From from our standpoint as a business, Dupa Fish was originated as a, um, a social source, and our objective was to build a network that we could drive marketing effort with. And the marketing effort that we we provide is for manufacturers. Um, we support a number of manufacturers in helping them build their brand rec- recognition within the fly fishing community. And the thing, although the way that we've done that is through our own social networks, but we've also really brought on a lot of anglers that we refer to as ambassadors. 99% of the anglers and ambassadors that we brought on are not professionals. They're actual users. And we work with manufacturers to put um, products in their hand um, so that they can go out and use them day to day. We're not asking them to sell the products. We're not forcing them to sell anything that they don't want to sell. We're asking them to use them. And if they like them and enjoy them, just use them and try and get some photographs of them and use. And I think that speaks volumes about the products that are in the hands of our ambassadors. And many of them, they're ambassadors of other brands that we don't necessarily support. And I think it's just fantastic because um, it shows that there's a lot of options out there right now. And you're not just stuck to um, the name, the big name brands. There's tons of uh, products out there that are absolutely fantastic. I mean, um, uh, tr- uh, Trestle is one that is like comes to front of mind. They they make a rod holder, and their rod holder is it blows the doors off of any other rod holder on the market, in my opinion. But they're just a small brand. Um, you had mentioned Mondo. We don't work with Mondo. I know those guys personally, and they make fantastic products. They have. Um, freshwater and saltwater reels and in rods and and they're a small company but they make great products we work with douglas outdoors another small um, manufacturer for rods and they they do an absolutely fantastic job i mean they've got designers on their team that have come from big rod companies like hardy and um, some other bigger names etc and they're doing design and development so there's this kind of magnificent change that's been going on in the industry where the manufacturing techniques, capabilities, and outsourcing capabilities have gotten um, so much more fluent and um, free to the general public or to small business owners that you're seeing all these very unique small brands come out with extremely high quality products. It used to be that you had to go with the Sage or um, some big name to get a high quality rod or reel, and it's frankly not the case anymore. Um, are there advantages to going the bigger brands? Yes, but there's also advantages going smaller brands. For example, um, some of the small brands that we work with, like um, uh, Brook Fly Fishing Equipment, they make a small fly box that's like a um, a silicone fly box. If you call them, you talk you talk to the owner, Jared, and he gives you information. Mm-hmm. And he'll chat you about fishing in Yellowstone, and it's just 
it's awesome, you know, um, to have that capability. So that's, that's where we have kind of focused on the, on the um, social sharing and, and marketing side. I, I love that. I love the fact that you guys, like, it's nothing like talking to somebody that actually is vested or owns the business. Um, that kind of customer service, had, I thought, was going the way of the dodo bird. With these new up-and-coming companies, and I find this, too, with the, the younger crowd that's into fly fishing, it seems to be the outdoor enthusiasts, the climbers, like yourself, back in the day, right, and snowboarders. Uh, it's that crowd that seems to be really driving driving our pastime ahead. Yeah, I, I think it is. And, and what we've seen in the, the marketplace is, you know, there's a real need for individualism. And I think social media is a big component of that. I mean, we see it every day in social media. Why are people taking pictures of the grip and grin and everything else? I mean, our page is it's a lot of grip and grin and it's because people want to be recognized and they want to be recognized for some type of individualism. And, um, that's important when you kind of get washed out in life in a lot of ways. Right. Um, so, you know, we like to mm-hmm. support that. I mean, there's nothing like getting your buddies all riled up and screaming and yelling and slapping you on the back when you're pulling in a hog and you finally get in the net. And it's like people get to relive that through their social page because, they post the picture and, you know, they get a couple hundred or a couple thousand likes. I mean, it sounds almost childish, but, hey, it makes you feel good. It's all the more power to you, in my opinion, um, because I, I was cut short on a lot of my life. And I tell you what, being in the negative side doesn't do anything to help you out. And you should enjoy every second that you get. I want to get a little philosophical with you when you're going down that road. Like, what's the biggest takeaway you took from from your illness and, and you know, like, is it life is short, play hard type, type of stuff? Or is it, like, what did, what was your takeaway from, from everything you've been through in the past eight years? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, for me, there's a couple of them. One is time is irreplaceable. You can't get time back. And so I'm really respectful of other people's time and I appreciate it when people are respectful of mine. That's a big one. Um, and I don't waste it where I think it's getting wasted. So that's, that's huge to me. You just cannot get time back. And then I also, I think I'm much more empathetic um, in that people make mistakes, man. We all make mistakes. I'm, I have made plenty of mistakes in my life and I still make them. Sometimes I don't prioritize the right things. Um, uh, you know, there's times where I wonder, Hey, should I be spending more time with my family and kids and, and things like that? And not working on tip of fish. But then I also have these goals and aspirations, uh, to, to, to build the business and, and do great things with it. And that tugs at my strings. So I think, understanding that there's always going to be, you know, the various strings of the puppet master pulling on you. And, you know, some days it's going to get pulled one direction or another, but, um, you know, don't beat yourself up on it. And then I guess the last to me would be, um, you know, enjoy, enjoy your time with your friends and family. Like don't, don't take it for granted because it, it can be taken away and certain things can change in your life. So just enjoy life. Don't, don't focus on the negatives. It's not worth it. It's not going to change anything. That's some good stuff. 
Words live by for sure. Uh, we're chatting today with Christian Bacasa of Dupafish, Christians out of Park City, Utah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, you'd mentioned uh, Rachel and you mentioned Todd as being big influences on your fly fishing. If you had to pick uh, one or two others that have been key in the, the, the steep learning curve and the learning curve that you underwent to get into the sport, uh, who would you throw out there? Yeah, for me... Um, I was a big research guy when I first started getting engaged in uh, fly fishing. So uh, that's a pretty easy one for me. One would be George Daniels. I've read a bunch of his books. Um, I mean, in inside and out and have gone and practiced those techniques and watched his YouTube videos, et cetera, online. Um, so he's, he's a big uh, piece of that. The next, would be um, Lance Egan. Lance and I have become friends over the years. I've, you know, really watched his videos and, and learned how to to use the Euro style nymphing or modern style nymphing techniques. And he's just been an open book when it comes to when I interact with him and very um, uh, sharing in his knowledge, et cetera. So I think he's been influential in that quite a bit. Um, and I would, I, I'm going to plug them here. So go check out his modern nymphing videos because they're really good. And of course, uh, George Daniels, his um, his approach to nymphing is, is uh, a slightly different, more coaching approach. And it's called dynamic nymphing. He teaches you all the different styles of nymphing in the assumption that it's almost like a Bruce Lee Jikundo approach of you need to know them all because you have to have all the repertoires all the moves in your repertoire to be successful. And I really liked that. The last person, and it's kind of a special one to me, um, would be um, Cheech from Fly Fish Food. And it was really interesting when I first started getting to fly fishing and was not doing well on my health at all. And you could tell visibly. I mean, I didn't have any hair. I was very thin and um, beaten down pretty heavy. I went to an iron fly competition. I had come back from that first year's trip and I started watching YouTube videos and time flies. And I was on this drug that would keep you up. I was only sleeping eight to 10 hours a week, literally because of the drug. And I would literally spend all night tying flies and watching YouTube videos. And I stumbled upon fly fish food among other channels, but I went to this iron fly competition and, um, you know, it was a GoFund competition. They had a stack of supplies on the table and they'd yell out a bug and you'd all try and tie it. And I remember they they threw out a bug and um, it was a cicada. I didn't even know what the hell a cicada was at the time. And I hurried up, looked it up on my phone and started tying and I tied this thing and it, it was actually a psychedelic cicada. So I um, tied this thing and it wasn't, it wasn't good. Uh, but it, lo and behold, Cheech tied something spectacular, of course, because uh, the guy's just a talent. And then uh, Colby Crossland, another guy who was running the Ironfly, those guys pulled me up and announced me as the winner. And I remember Colby trying to explain to me how my fly was really good. It just wasn't quite as refined as Cheech's, but it was really good, so you're our winner. And I, I saw through all the BS at the time, but I didn't really care. It made me feel so good. Uh, and it was just something I needed. And Cheech was um, really cool about it, very supportive. And we just stayed in touch. You know, the guy's like, yeah, we got to get out on the river and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I would text them about things and ask them questions. And 
you know, hit him up on Instagram and he was always real responsive. So it was very cool to have a guy like that. So, um, yeah, props to you, Cheech. You, you were a big influence for me and, uh, I, I appreciate it, bud. That's really well said. <clears throat> Some pretty amazing influences. Actually, we had, uh, we were, I was lucky enough to have George, uh, Daniels on the podcast last week and i'll tell you what i could have talked to that guy like yourself for hours yeah he is uh, an absolute wealth of knowledge yeah yeah and loves loves teaching like you know like showing people the ropes and that's that's one thing i think is common in the sport the more people i meet the the, the i'm constantly amazed at how sharing everybody is because when you get into other venues it's not always that open you know yeah i think that's been an interesting change too um I went through that in the, the climbing community when I started, this was back in the nineties and you couldn't find it. It wasn't information wasn't available online. So you needed a mentor, but it was even hard to find mentors. Right. And now it's really unique. You can get online and watch a handful of YouTubes and get some really good technique. Now you can get some bad advice too. Right. But you can get a lot of good advice and, what that does, I think, too, is it opens up the door for you to recognize, like, these are the type of people that want to mentor, and then you can do additional things to reach out to them. I mean, I I have people that regularly reach out to me on our uh, direct message on Instagram, and we fill them full of data all the time, and it, it's it's something I enjoy. I mean, I really enjoy the coaching, too. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're in and around your home base of Park City, Utah, I'm curious where you go to kind of get your fix on fly fishing, Christian. So, like, is there a, a local watering hole or a coffee shop or fly shop you like to uh, kind of get dialed in on? Yeah, interesting. We we um, we have a Tuesday night fly ties night, and a friend of mine, guy that works with us, um, we call him Mr. Werbs. His name is Aaron Smith. He's at Mr. Werbs on social media. You should check it out. He takes just absolutely fabulous photographs and he's, he's on our page quite a bit too. Um, but he kind of organizes this and it's a, it's a no frills kind of thing. You know, early Tuesday morning, he sends out a note and it's like, it's at Jason's house tonight. You know, we're getting at the, the taco truck down in the sportsman's warehouse parking lot, meet us there. And then we'll go to Jason's and, you know, we go get our fix and tie flies and, you know, some nights you don't even touch your vice. You just end up BSing about the rivers and whatnot. But that's, that's been really fun for me. Um, something that I enjoy outside of that. It's really probably, um, you know, checking in on my social pages and, and, and doing that. And then my, you know, my, I take my time at home and do my reading and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Right on. If, if you were to, take us through a perfect ideal day for you, Christian, on the water. What does that look like? Could you paint us a picture of uh, what type of water you'd be fishing, maybe what species you'd be targeting, just kind of uh, describe that? Yeah, sure. Um, for me, I like mid-sized streams that have, you know, sections of ripples than, than almost like plunge pools or, or deeper pools. And I think that gives you a mix, you know, like the classic ripple run pool scenario and you get to practice everything. Right. And I think you, know, you can fish the riffles and struggle in there and, or do well. And then you can move on to a different technique where you're fishing the run and the water's maybe a little slower. So you're changing your rig up and then you're, you're in the hole and you're fishing the scene and you might be tight line and or whatever it may be, but I like to mix it up throughout the day. 
um, and, and do different things, uh, even, you know, whip out a few streamers and, and throw those. And so I think those kinds of rivers give you all those options. And I'm a long day guy. I really like to get up early and fish for a long day and get into my rhythm and see how the, the day changes and how I adapt. And that was, I, I think that stems from early on. That's, that's where I struggled. I was, if there was a particular, um, type of hatch or type of bite on and I keyed into it early, I was successful, but it was learning how to adjust and change and learning how and when to recognize that it was time to change. That was very difficult for me. I kind of related to, you know, you'd go out and you'd almost get rigor mortis. You would just settle in the one way and then you just beat it to death. And then you'd realize half my day was gone and I wasted the last two hours trying to do the same thing. And now I can see I should have adjusted a long time ago. And that was very difficult for me to overcome. Hmm. That's interesting to me because I know, I think that's a common feeling that as fly fishers, we get out there. It's like, okay, if you're not getting into fish right away, do I stick this out for a little longer? Do I change the pattern? Then you can end up chasing flies in your fly box all day if you're not too careful. Yeah. And for me, I try to tend to focus on the technique that I'm using versus the flies that I'm using. Hmm. And that has really helped me make those changes. And so uh, we talked earlier about being able to break your, your, your problem, which is catching fish into blocks. And so there's, you know, the selection element, but then there's a technique element, but then within that technique block, there's several other blocks. So I'll give you an example of your tight line, um, nymphing your Euro style nymphing. That's, that's one of your blocks. Okay. I'm, I'm now moving to the, the, the tight line nymphing block. And within that block, there's all kinds of variables that I can focus on. Okay. Do I need to add more weight? Do I need to get dipper? Do I need to change my tippet, um, strength? Um, because a lighter tippet will be less visible. Maybe the fish are, um, a little tricky or it's going to sink at a faster rate. Um, it's not going to have as much drag. It'll drift a little more naturally. Do I drift on the bottom and actually bounce it? Or do I drift a little higher in the column? Do I change my bugs so that I have, um, an emerger or something higher in the column or an aquatic worm higher in the column, but then I have more of a, a ground traveling, um, bug on the bottom side. Um, do I use my heavy bug up front and a lighter bug in the back so that it's kind of whipping around a little more naturally in the back? I use a point fly that's really heavy to keep my line in a straight column and feel more sensitive takes. All of those things come into play when you're starting to adjust and think through your pattern for the day. So the faster I think you can rip through those different techniques in your head and adjust them on your line to get into the right play, the more successful you'll be. And so practicing those over and over and being able to recognize when it's time to adjust, that to me was a game changer. I really like the way you're breaking that down into blocks. It makes it makes a lot of sense. I never really thought about it that way, but that's that's really well put. I, I want to get into your social media handles and all that, but first, what I want to do, if you don't mind, is you, you'd mentioned uh, just before we started tonight, you've got some exciting project in the works, and uh, I'd like you to dial us in on that. Yeah, okay. Um, we are partnering with uh, almost 20, or I think 20-plus, different manufacturers on this project people um like that have been with us from the very beginning like moonlight fly fishing um all the way through 
some new people in the fly fishing industry, like Dunn Magazine, an absolutely wonderful publication. Um, and then we're combining fly fishing and overland. Um, and overland is an interesting area because what we're starting to see, and we've had some feedback in the industry, is that you know, with a lot of the social media, we've seen a, a significant amount of growth in fly fishing. And so there's a little bit of a pain going on where the rivers are starting to get more crowded. Well, what's really interesting is the lakes haven't gotten all that crowded and the high mountain, little more remote areas haven't really changed all that much in their, um, the amount of people fishing them. And so what we're trying to do is educate the community that, look, if you make a few modifications to your vehicle, you can put yourself in a position to, one, be safe and feel a little, a lot more secure when you're going out into the backcountry with your truck. And then, two, you can access all these different areas of fish that are still water applications or high mountain river applications where Literally, you go 15, 20 miles down a dirt road, and there's nobody there. And the fishing can be spectacular. I mean, one thing that people often don't recognize is, is still water, for example. Um, still water, it's a whole new technique, and reading water is different. And so I think it scares off a lot of people because they, they look at this lake, and they just don't even know where to start. So, you know, checking out guys like you've interviewed and learning some of those European lock style techniques, et cetera, can really change the game for you there. But what's unique about Stillwater is the fish quality is often better than um, the average river mm-hmm. um, because they can feed constantly. The food source is there all the time. And then there, there are no crowds. And even when there are crowds, you can walk the perimeter of the lake and Typically, you can get away from people or you can get into um, some kind of uh, watercraft and get out on the lake and get away from people. And it can be an absolute blast of a day being out on a lake, fishing. Um, you can take your family um, and go swimming during a day. You can cool off. You know, you got a cooler full, full of beers or whatever it is. I mean, it can be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so it's a different style of fishing, but it, it it's... Um, it's absolutely great fishing. And the other last item about Stillwater that is a misconception is there is fantastic dry fly fishing on Stillwater. And people just don't think of it in that manner often. But there can be absolute epic dry fly hatches that will blow your mind. And it can be an absolute blast just ripping and fish that way. Yeah, you're speaking my language there because that is kind of my my sweet spot just simply based on on geographic location. But uh, I always think too, when you're fishing still water, Christian, that fish has a lot of time to study your fly. So it is a different mentality. Some of that opportunistic, you know, the fish in the river or the stream is usually it's using energy usually just to even hold, but a, a fish in a lake, like you say, they grow big and they grow fast when they're not, they're not moving around as they're not trying to, you know, use up energy, just, uh, holding place in a stream. And then they have time to study things. So you really have, it really does test in my opinion, your technique and your time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And things like having a, a tight loop in your cast really make a difference because you need to cast distance. Um, you, you need to have a really soft presentation, like you said. And that's why you adjust the things like when you're dry fly fishing on lakes, you're, 
you're using a 12 foot 6x leader, but you're catching big fish. So, yeah, there's a, a lot of different adjustments. And I think for me, I, it kind of goes back to what I had mentioned before about, um, I think, George Daniels' approach. Uh, and, and I always relate it back to Bruce Lee and, and Jeet Kune Do because Bruce Lee was a big uh, proponent. And there's an article about this on, on my blog, but he took Jeet Kune Do and he said, look, the the Wing Chun check technique that I was taught and was held to be all these rules, that's great, but that's only one application. If we blend all of these things and we have this very broad repertoire of moves and master this very broad repertoire of moves, when we come upon a situation, we can adapt and overcome. And by studying Stillwater, by studying the rivers, um, by studying all these different techniques, whether European or, uh, I mean, you can go from Colorado to Utah and there's tons of different techniques. By learning those, your repertoire moves, increases, and I, I think your ability to adjust, um, it really makes you a better angler. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very true. I also think that, like, I like what you're saying in find your water too. Yeah. Some of those, those streams that, that we all hear about, we all read about, sometimes they can get busy, but there's always, there's a lot of open water out there. If you're willing to take a, just a little bit of time, you know? Yeah. 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 Good stuff. Here's, here's another example that I'll pass to you. And I always can relate to this one, but and I did a lot of weightlifting when I was in, in endurance and stuff, especially at a younger age. And you'd go into the gym and it was classic, right? You'd see the guy who could, he could just bench like no other, but his legs were really skinny. Well, you know why his legs were really skinny? Because he was really good at bench pressing. So that's what he enjoyed doing. And he did it over and over again. He wasn't great at doing legs. So he rarely did legs. It's the same thing on the river. If you're really good at fishing seams that uh, are are very noticeable or you're really good at fishing the ripples, step back and focus somewhere else for a while and practice on that technique. You want to go have fun for an hour in the evening? Go fish your strong points. You have all day? Try to set aside some time to focus on an area where you feel weak and really discover what you need to change and, and where you need to adjust and then go do some reading on it when you get back. Cause you're going to, you're going to be able to reflect back on what you're going through, through your readings and identify things that you may have missed uh, during the day. If you were to able to kind of take your crystal ball and change something in the pastime of fly fishing, is there anything you'd like to see us doing a little differently or maybe better? That's a tough one. I've never, I've never thought of that. Um, I get a lot of people um, that have actually. I get some really interesting comments on this question, and and sometimes it's a social media angle. Sometimes it's just, um, you know, availability of waters, like getting um, uh, access to to rivers and streams. That comes up a lot. Um, etiquette, believe it or not, comes up a lot. You know, like how are we treating other people on the water? How are we being treated by them? That whole interaction, I find that kind of fascinating, to be quite honest. You know, there's a lot of different different things that come up, but does anything come to mind in your world? Yeah, not, now that you've mentioned a few, yeah. Um wasn't thinking of that question, but you mentioned a few things that resonated really well with me. Um, I used to sit on the board for the Utah Stream Access Coalition, and Utah lost access to a lot of its rivers because the the current uh, legal policies there are governed in this manner. If you own the land, you therefore own the riverbed, 
And if you own the riverbed, the water resides on the riverbed. And therefore, you cannot trespass by being on the water. And that ruling changed for Utah, um, I think it was about 10 years ago. And um, that, that, was, that was tough for a lot of people here in Utah to swallow. And it recently changed to very similar format down in New Mexico, as I understand it. And so, you know, there are some things where I think, um, you know, it's troublesome for the fly fishing and, and rafting and, and waterfowl and everything else. Um, but, you know, keeping our public waters free uh, that we pay taxes to maintain and to stock fish in and et cetera. And you go down the list. I think that's really important. So, sort of, you know, getting out there and being active in that is important um, aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Etiquette. I think there's, there is um, some river etiquette that um, I think this is a mentoring moment, right? We all want to get out. We're all limited on time and we all want to get in our favorite hole and we all want to catch fish. Uh, and I get that. And, you know, sometimes we put our blinders on and our etiquette isn't there. And sometimes it's incidental. Here's what I would say. Practice the technique of being a run or a riffle, at least above the person ahead of you. And, don't hesitate to stop as you're walking up river and just ask, Hey, are you going up river or are you going down river? And if they're going up river and you are too, let them know, Hey, I'm going to give you a couple holes and then I'm going to start working the water. Is that okay? In 99% of the time you will be met with a gracious response of thanks for doing that. I really appreciate it. And especially around here, we, a lot of the guides, I think get beat up. Because they get a little frustrated when people, you know, for lack of a better term, high hole them. And you wouldn't believe how gracious they are if you just kind of give them a little bit. Like, I know you're stuck with your client and you're, you're getting paid to do this. You're making a living and I'm not. And so I might give you the better water that day, et cetera. The other one I think that is just good etiquette and friendly etiquette is if you see someone on the river that you have a sense that – um you know, they might not be as an accomplished angler or they're learning or they're fumbling around, like give them the good water and maybe share some technique with them. Or if they ask you questions, just be an open book. But what do you have to lose? Most of these people, you know, they only get out of handful of times a year, right? And uh, let them have some fun with it, man. You know, especially if you're an advanced angler and you know you can pick fish out of just about any water. I think that makes a world of difference for people. I know you're real busy with uh, with keeping uh, Dupa fish on the go here, but I just I'm curious. I know you get out a lot. Have you had anything in the past few trips or a few years on the water that was weird or wonderful that happened to you out there that kind of took you off guard? Yeah, it, it happens on the water, but it, the ones that are really unique are the ones that happen off the water. And uh, you know, Dupa fish is a business, so I I try to spread the word about it all the time. I mean, if I meet you, I'm going to ask you, do you fly fish? You know? And if you do, I'm telling you, Oh, check out Deepa fish. It's at Deepa fish, you know, on all the social channels. And so, um, on the river, I run into people and they'll see my hat and they'll go, are you, are you the at Deepa fish guy? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. All right. Cool. And that's really neat. And usually I'll stop and talk and chit chat and, you know, share a couple flies and, you know, maybe say, Hey, go check out this area up the river, blah, blah, blah. You know, people really like that. And then the, the ones that are really unique, I'll give you an example. I went down to the car dealership and dropped my, my car off 
Um, they're like, oh yeah, this guy, you know, whatever, John will be to pick you up and take you to work and okay, cool. Um, and I get a, I had a real day job, <laughs> but, um, I get in the car and it's a younger kid and we're chit-chatting and, um, he sees my hat. I had a hat on and he goes, oh, you fish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm, uh, I got these social channels called Dupafish and he about floored, you know, just, he's like, oh my God, you're Dupafish. Oh, I follow you guys. That's amazing. Oh, how? you know, that was really cool. <laughs> he, was, he was like so excited. Um, and then the other one would be a lot of people think we're like this major corporation, you know, Dupafish. Well, man, we have like 50, 60 people there and you're like, oh, just me and Todd. Yeah. We got a couple, a little help from some other people, but really it's just, you know, just a few of us. Yeah. That's funny. I, it, it's, and that's, you know what, that's the beauty of social media because you have no idea. You guys could be the biggest company in the world for all I know. You know what I mean? Like if you're looking at followers and you're looking at photos, it's another world out there. I find social media so exciting. It's like, I'm an older generation. So it's, it's, you know, I'm just scratching the surface at this, but I know you younger guys, I love listening to the passion and just you're living your dream. And, and that I admire that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's pretty cool. I, I enjoy, I'm a social guy to begin with. I like, you know, chatting with people, et cetera. And, and so I'm, I'm not the recluse, right. Um, that some anglers are, and I, I get that they want their solidarity. And I think you can have both, right. I do go through phases of that. For me, one of the things that's been really cool about social media is the people that I've met. Um, you mentioned Joe from Tilted 3.0. Joe went to Costa Rica with us on a tarpon trip. His first tarpon trip ever got caught like 180-pound tarpon. I mean, you can't ask for that. He's never been on a saltwater trip prior to that. And he, he stayed after to do it, and I left him my rod and my reel and I only knew the guy through social media. That's really cool. And you, I'll, I'll tell you a funny, quick story. So Joe, I've had Joe on a couple times, believe it or not. So, because he was an ambassador for some other companies and he was talking about that. But then what happened was he started a new business called Hoofius. And he was fishing one day on the river. A buddy was listening to my podcast with him on the way to the water, ran into this guy totally randomly and now they're in business together. Like it's like six degrees of separation. I just think it's it's such it's a big <laughs> industry, but it's so darn small. The names that you're mentioning there, yeah, Joe's a great guy and very passionate guy. And uh, he he actually told me he was yeah. one of the first guys that said I should be looking you up, and that was over a year ago. So yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our overland trip, for example, um, Mark. Um, you know, like I said, we put together this trip. It's uh, we're going to start um, recording and shooting film. Um, so you know, for those of you who's out there listening, make it, you know, follow us on social media. We're going to be doing a truck build and giving all the details on how to build your, your truck out and do some modifications to, to help you out. And then how that ties, ties into fly fishing. And, and we'll be doing publication and in, in Dunn magazine, like I said, um, outlining some of that as well. But we've got, um, I think now committed 12 anglers that are going to go out with us on this this trip and we're going to go into um, some high mountain uh, fishing areas that are remote. And most of these people I met through social media Hmm. Um, and some of them haven't met each other yet. And it's going to be the first time. And I think that's really unique and very cool because we all did special bond of fishing and it's different for all of us. And so I think it's really going to be neat to see 
how each one of them relates to fishing and, and uh, you know, the struggles they go through in the three, four days that we'll be filming, et cetera. So looking forward to it. Hope you guys follow along. I'm just continually amazed by everyone's different story, different backgrounds, and, and just how fly fishing really unites a lot of people in a lot of different circles from a lot of different paths of life. And once you make that bond, it's pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really unique. Uh, it's, a, it's a great adventure. Could I get you to throw all your social media handles out there so when we're looking for dupe of fish, um, you know, somebody's looking to book an amazing trip, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity like you're talking about just now, uh, maybe pick up some, some, some of your cool hats. I've seen some nice products on your website. Or maybe just get a little help with their social media. Um, how do they find you? Yeah, that's, uh, I appreciate you doing that. Um, you can find us on all social channels except Twitter by going to at Dupafish. Twitter is at Dupafish Alert. Um, so yeah, give us a like and a follow uh, on those channels. We've recently really put a big focus on YouTube and are starting to grow there. I um, do a lot of fly tying videos. Um, we're also going to be releasing a bunch of um, how tos and reviews on the products that we'll be using um, in this, uh, this overland and fly fishing campaign. So that's going to be pretty exciting for us. Plus we make some films here and there that are just kind of adventure films. In fact, we did one last year with, um, uh, Dally's fly shop out of the Ozarks. And, uh, we went down to the white river in Arkansas and just had a blast of a time catching all these hogs, man. So check that one out. It's already up. Um, outside of that, product and availability is on our website at www.dupeafish and remember dupe is d-u-p-e a fish so that's uh that's where we're at on all the social we're also on linkedin if you're a professional i've got some groups on linkedin if you like to participate there um we're all over the place so yeah we we love uh conversation getting engaged and um you know feel free to reach out you you would also mention more collaboration etc um we love sharing photos uh fish of our friends and you know feel free to hit us up there and and uh with uh, dms etc or if you need some advice or want some help or an introduction uh, we're always welcome to do that. And of course, if you're a manufacturer and you're looking for someone to help you organically grow at a very affordable rate, um, we're your guys. Well, Christian, I really appreciate you taking the time. I, I wish you continued good health and uh, some amazing fly fishing. And, and your story is very inspirational. I, I really appreciate you sharing tonight and telling us about Dupa Fish and, and, and how you got to where you're at right now. Th- thanks so much for coming on. Hey, Mark, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it as well. And um, I think we should remind your your listeners that um, we're going to be back. Um, we definitely want to do this again and tell you about some of our uh, ventures from this fall. And, um, you know, you and I discussed also, we're going to get my partner Todd on here and he's going to tell you his story. And he's got a very unique story as well. So I appreciate all the listeners out there and uh, tight lines to everyone. Have a great day. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.